0: I would like to begin my presentation, thanking the organizer for having created the opportunity to move the annual conference of the BSP online and for selecting our panel. The contribution I'm going to present today aims to propose a paradigm shift in the field of neurosciences and to challenge their methodology through raising a question, how can we bridge the gap between brain and mind? This division is at the core of the modern conception of neurosciences, and it affects the way not only neurological conditions and comorbidities are understood and treated, but also the way life and experiences are comprehended and scrutinised. One can acknowledge this division and carry on life in a pretty ordinary way, however from an epistemological point of view this gap remains a subject of interrogation and a challenge to be investigated. But what is the brain and what is the mind? Scientists Agree in defining the physical brain as an organ that serves as the centre of nervous system in all vertebrate and most invertebrate animals. It is located in the head, usually close to the sensory organs for vision. The definition of mind is more complicated. And includes a set of cognitive faculties and aspects such as consciousness, imagination, perceptions, thinking, intelligence, language, memory, as well as non-cognitive aspects such as emotion and instinct. In the history of philosophy, as well as in the history of medicine, mind and brain have started to be separated since modernity and the problem of their relationship is basically at the core of this presentation. My idea is that phenomenology can enrich the understanding of this division, providing a working tool to overcome this gap and enhancing neurosciences and their methodology. When I refer to neurosciences, I'm not simply referring to psychiatry, which welcomed the phenomenological contribution pretty late and with many resistances. Rather, I refer to those other branches of neurosciences, for example, neurology, or neuropsychology that are mostly unaware of phenomenology and are not including its benefits from their methodology and findings. Neurosciences affirm that the investigation of brain's neuronal states can be understood only through third-person perspective, which is able to guarantee the sort of neural, neural correlates of consciousness that preside over any activity and experience of our life. In other words, the first-person perspective able to properly grasp the, subject, the subject's experience what we can call the mind, is not necessary in order to understand the content of such activities, as well as the description and understanding of clinical conditions. According to this view, memory, behavior, perception, consciousness, and a psychopathological phenomena can be explained through a poorly biological approach. And this is precisely the talent of neuroscience. My contribution is articulated in two parts. and the first one, I will rebuild the origin of the gap between brain and mind in order to show how the implication of a biological approach affects contemporary understanding of our inner life and moreover the treatment of mental disorders. In the second part, I will propose an hypothesis on how to bridge the gap, showing how the brain as a part of a more complex system of elements in which human being is situated, involved, and embedded. The 4E approach to cognition argues that cognition does not occur solely in the head, but is also embodied, embedded, enacted, and extended by extracranial processes and structures. It is the most recent resource in phenomenological adjustment to neurosciences and also a useful framework able to account for people's personal life and mental health in a non-reductionist view. We will see how it is more appropriate to talk about a link between brain and mind rather than a gap due to the fact that there is a bidirectional way to understand this relation. The mind cannot be reduced only to brain activity and brain cannot be disentangled from the mind. In the field of mental health, this means that mental disorders cannot be reduced only to brain dysfunctions, and brain disorders cannot be caused only by abnormal mental experiences. Under this regard, neurophenomenology as an interdisciplinary field in which phenomenology and neurosciences are in dialogue and mutual tension can illuminate the relation at the core of this presentation. In addressing such challenging issues, I will surely leave aside many related themes and questions which cannot be explored in the assigned time. However, I would like to invite you to consider the overarching aim of this presentation, to boost an interpretative hypothesis to show the mutual relation between brain and mind. The demand of introducing a different and complex approach in the field of neurology is not a philosophical diversion, neither a dismissive attitude toward the manifold achievements of natural sciences. Rather, it is a strict epistemological quest grounded on the gap between brain and mind. It is through the contribution of Rene Descartes that an important step in understanding of the mental in relation to the brain is taken. It comes up with a still influential idea that while the brain may control the body, the mind is something intangible, distinct from the brain, where the soul and thought resides. The significance of the brain in explaining inner life and mental disorders was characterized by by coming into modern neurosciences the long Cartesian tradition of two substances who preside over the activities of body and mind, generating the so-called mind-body problem. Neurosciences are epistemically inclined to a form of reductionism, according to which our inner life and our experiences are always reducible to the activities of the brain. The neural correlates of consciousness constitutes the minimal set of neuronal events and mechanisms sufficient to explain a subjective phenomenon. As a consequence of this, the mind is reducible to a product of the brain's activity. In other words, our existence is reducible to the organic substrate that presides over revenue, activity, emotion, condition and experience. In the last century, Carl Jaspers called this approach brain mythology, an expression aimed at describing how the physiological approach to the understanding and explication of mental conditions was simply insufficient to understand the mind and the inner context of experiences. The assumption according which mental disorders are only brain affliction as a part of the legacy of Wilhelm Kriesinger's work, who formulated the dogma of neurosciences around 1861. If we have an exact knowledge of the brain, then we can know the physiological life, the psychological life, and its disturbances, and get explanations of all the neurological conditions. After more than one century and a half, neurosciences and philosophy still struggle in scrutinizing their epistemological status and in getting in dialogue. The temptation to some philosophical concept, such as consciousness, emotions, experience, can be explained by neurosciences, is still ready at hand. Quoting Alva Noe, we live in a time of growing excitement about the brain perception, memory, our likes and dislikes, intelligence, morality, whatever, the brain is supposed to be the organ responsible for all of it. It is widely believed that even consciousness, that holy grail of science and philosophy, will soon be given a neural explanation. However, neuroscientists, philosophers who assert the possibility of explaining the mind in neuroscientific terms are challenged by the fact that mental state themselves cannot be detected within the brain itself. An example of this is offered by the subjective experience of phantom limbs which cannot be found within the brain. Only corresponding neuronal states not the respective mental states of phantom experience itself can be observed there, into the brain. This was called the brain paradox, an expression aimed at underlying the ontological and epistemic dissociation between brain and mind. On one hand, the life of the mind cannot be reduced to brain's activities and, on the other hand, brain's activities are not disentangled from the life of the mind. We can sum up the cardinal positions on this issue through, different, through three different accounts of the brain-mind gap. According to the identity theory, the life of the mind is the result of the brain activity. Even if in the last 50 years substantial findings have shown that this theory has been overcome in favour of different approaches, the identity theory seems to be predominant in the field of neurology and its specialties. It means that the research of neural correlates is trying to explain the mind, even if there are no evidences for such brain correlates. The next like functional magnetic resonant, resonance imaging and electroencephalogram measure brain activity in response to sensory motor, or cognitive, affective or social stimuli or tasks, and try to find brain correlates of neuropsychological conditions. As consequence, the relation between the brain and the mind is understood in terms of a monolinear causality and as a process which allows the brain to generate the mind. Consciousness must be located in the brain in the same way that digestion must take place into the stomach. According to this view, mental issues are understood, interpreted and treated only by the perspective of biological model, also through the advances Psychopharmacology that have pushed neurosciences in the direction of causal explanations. The mental is considered with a symptomatic significance only as something for the neurosciences, and psychological and phenomenological knowledge is simply a preliminary way of describing what is actually going on, namely, material processes at neuronal level. Another interpretation is offered by those philosophers and neuroscientists who consider the brain in the context of embeddedness, and the brain and bodily environmental context seem mutually determining each other and be reciprocally dependent on each other. According to this view, the brain is defined empirically as a dynamic brain, characterized by dynamic states and event coding which guarantee the distinction from the physical brain, epistemically, as characterized by a particular epistemic inability, that is, auto-epistemic limitation, which allows the brain to remain unable to detect and recognize its own brain state as such, rather they are experienced as mental state, and ontologically as an embedded brain characterized by the intrinsic integration within both body and environment. The gap between brain and experience can be breached through a special temporal psychopathology. Both experience and brain share time and space, and alterations in time and space may then be manifest in both abnormal experiences of self, body and word, as well as abnormal neural activity changes in the brain. Another possibility is offered by the biopsychosocial model. This model, born as an alternative to biomedical approach, emphasises the importance of understanding human health and illness in their full context. In the context of the gap between brain and mind, the biopsychosocial approach proposes a systemic view of the brain, essentially engaged in regulation and control of body processes and behaviour in the outer environment. Among the models mentioned above, the contribution of phenomenology combined with the 4E approach occupies a different place, the importance of which we can recognize if we start from a fundamental question. Where can we situate the mental processes? To address this question, we need to go back to Jaspers, who was among the first to acknowledge in the mind-brain gap a mere abstraction of which the aims are not of any help in the understanding of human being and its totality and bodily existence. His critic to the somatic reductionism, typical of his time, finds an important point of coherence in the critic toward the research of structure of psychological life into the structure of the brain. According to Jasper's, Even injuries in the brain are not valid findings to prove the alteration of the mind because they can only account for centers of disturbance and not centers of performance. We only know conditioning factors for the psychological life. We never know the cause of psychological, even only a cause. In other words, the mental, It's not something the brain can achieve on its own, disentangle from the joint operation of the body and the word. You are not your brain. But I don't deny that you have a brain, and I certainly don't deny that you have a mind. To have a mind requires more than a brain. Brains don't have minds. People and other animals do. Our mental life, the content of our inner life, our affectivity, as well as our memory and behaviors cannot be the sum of partial functions localized in the physical brain. The limits of this brain-based approach to the mental is stressed by Thomas Fuchs in a very clear way. It is not the brain that we discover conscious experiences, rather only the neuronal processes or correlates that we assign to them. Yet, during this assigning, neuroscience can still make the mistake of overest localization, thereby arriving at a new form of phrenology. At this point, we reached at least two important conclusions. First, the mind cannot be located into the brain activity, and second, the brain cannot be considered the organ which exclusively forms the mind. Somehow, brain and mind are in a mutual and influential relationship, and this is precisely what we need to understand. One of the most important contributions of phenomenological informal approach to neuroscience is the reorientation of the causal effect mechanism in favor of a circular interaction between the brain and the environment in which it is embedded. As recently showed by Thomas Neuroscience neurosciences consider the brain as a costructure asking how the neuronal machinery produce the experienced word and the experienced subject. Consciousness does appear not as the relation of the living being to the word, but becomes an internal representation of the external word inside the head. This attitude neglects the reciprocal relationship and circular processes in which the brain is embedded. A process that requires a circular concept of causality, in which, whether the mind nor mental issues, can be considered as secretion of the brain. Rather, they need to be framed into a more complex notion of causality. The ecology of the brain aims to show how the brain adequately understood as an organ of of a living being in its environment, is on the one hand connected to the living organism and on the other hand, embedded in the natural and social environment by means of the organism manifold and in particular sensory motor interaction carried on by the body. Organism and environment develop and adjust themselves in a mutual contribution. The brain is a social and historical organ of mediation, transformation and modulation embedded in the human organism relationships with the surrounding world and in an interpersonal relationship. In trying to address the issue at the core of this contribution, we can find important indication in the neurophenomenology, conceived as one of the best integrations of phenomenology and natural sciences. Today, under the expression neurophenomenology, we find many paths. In these concluding remarks, I will follow the regional indication of Francisco Varela in the understanding and using of neurophenomenology as a meaningful bridge between two irreducible phenomenon domains, the first-person experience at one side and the third-person phenomena established by neurosciences at the other. At the core of Borella's meditation, there is the assumption that phenomenological accounts of the structure of experience and their counterparts in cognitive science relate to each other through reciprocal constraints. Neurophenomenology aims to explore the bridge between these two through a stereoscopic perspective in which neuroscientific questions can be guided by first person phenomenological evidence and third person neuroscientific evidence can suggest new articulations of the phenomenological description. To use the keywords of this contribution and the perspective proposed by Varela, mind and brain are in a mutual tension which cannot be overcome and no one of the two can be flattened on the other. Consider the frequent pronouncements made in the name of neuroscience that the self is nothing but an illusion created by brain's workings, that the world we experience is really a neuronal simulation or that consciousness is nothing but a brain process. Our personal experience however presents things differently. Hence the quandary. Either accept what science seems to be telling us and deny our experience, or hold fast to our experience and deny science. Our present culture is still caught up in a constant oscillation between these two tendencies. According to Barella, A cognitive being's world is not a pre specified external realm represented internally by its brain. Rather, it's a relational domain enacted or brought forth by what being in and through its mode of coupling with the environment. Perhaps it is our cultural attitude to think of the relationship between brain and mind as a gap to be breached an attitude embedded in a dualistic way of conceiving existence, which does not allow us to see the bidirectional link that characterizes the relation between the mind and brain. Perhaps it is precisely this attitude that we will never overcome this dualistic perspective. Maybe the first step toward a paradigm shift is to change this attitude within our language and our epistemic assumptions. I thank you for your attention.